the southern point, from the southernmost point of Dord, we're live to tape. The lands of always winter in what is west of Westeros and the shadows in the east. This, I think, is Casterly Talk. It's only been like a week, but we're back. Podcast and YouTube form. Uh, it's my habit. I, I love live to tape. We don't do things over again. What you say is what you get. I'm Ken Napsock, and we're going to talk a little bit House of Dragon news, winter news, rings of power news. We're doing it all here, and I am not alone in that effort today. Coming back to the show, he's a mainstay around these parts and will be. It is Alton Diaz. What's up, man? How you doing? How you doing, my friend? I'm so excited to be here away from a galaxy far, far away and more in the land of dragons, steel, nice big coats, cloaks, cloaks. Uh, very comforting to be here. Lots yeah. of lots of beautiful people. Lots of why does this elf have short hair controversy? It's great times. Oh, God. Oh, we've got so many controversies going on out in this world here. Uh, yes, and, and we are uh, we are uh, broadcasting from the southernmost point of Dorn. I can say it. I can say it. It's been a couple weeks off here, Alden. Uh, you and I uh, and many other people at Star Wars Celebration recently. That took yep. a lot out of all of us. You feeling okay? You recovered just from the Celebration fun? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be that little bit of con crud and you're going to wonder, why do I always do this? It's like, well, it's always waiting in lines. And then the second you get back home, you're like, hey, it was brilliant. I miss it. it. And I was bummed. I was all set to go. Hadn't got the ticket yet. but was going to go to the official Game of Thrones con that HBO was going to put on at the mm. Rio. And uh, that got uh, pushed back kind of just quietly uh, flittered away because of probably COVID and a lot of other things. But I, 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 would, I would like to get to an official con for this wonderful world soon too and maybe uh we'll bring you along we'll hit some game of thrones slots and have some fun oh that'd be great i i wondered about that too is that an indefinite delay very vague to be honest it was like it was gonna be february of this year uh i right. did i was looking at it and all of a sudden like you just it was gone i didn't get to see the announcement didn't get an email because i was yeah. on a mailing list to try to get ticket i don't know i, I don't was know. really excited because it's gonna have you would imagine based on cast and crew appearances at general conventions a nice uh sassier maybe a adultier flavor by the nature of what it is like so yeah. star wars celebration is such a family affair and it just makes you feel the generational joy i want a game of thrones con to be you know nikolai Kosterwald out on stage like get over it <laughs> like I, I want it to be like i have some edge to it we are going to be talking Game of Thrones news soon here, but this is something I do want to discuss with you. You and I live in both of these worlds, as do a lot of us fans. But we go to Star Wars. I always say I go to Star Wars for what this, what the world could be, and I look at Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire as what the world is. It, it's yeah, fun to kind of be in both worlds. Yeah, I would want the Game of Thrones con to be a little randier, a little bit, a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the panel potential, because some of the best Star Wars celebration panels, my friends and I call them, old school celebration panels because now mm. it's got a little bit more of a promotional bent to it which is fine 100%, but 100%. back in the day it would be let's get tomorrow morrison jeremy bullock daniel logan just throw all the bobas together we could have some great fun throw everybody that was uh you know working in a brothel if you were a brothel character let's get on a panel led by aiden gillen he moderates Perfect. uh we ever if you served on the wall get on a panel i'd be uh, there it'd be that. great Oh, 100 brothel panel. We're there. We're there. We're there. We're also here for some Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, Song of Ice and Fire. And like I said, up top, Rings of Power news. We will be talking about Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord, Lord, I, I, I turned that into one word. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Rings of Power. Uh, some people have pushed for me to cover Willow here. I'm going to be watching. <laughs> the show. I, I wasn't going to say it. I almost yeah. made a joke about it, but I didn't want to do any producing on air. But. Look, Good, I, great trailer. Great trailer. I, and I have a, heart, a special place in my heart for the first movie. Uh, some of it doesn't stand up for me, but it doesn't matter. The spirit of the movie does. I love Warwick Davis, and I'm so excited. I'm, I love big, you and I are big fans of Aaron Kellyman, uh, Infus Ness herself could be the series. So, yeah, I just don't, I don't want Cassidy Talk to be like a fantasy channel. That doesn't, that doesn't track right. from my interests across a lot of boards. But uh, I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. We'll see, Alden. We'll see. Here comes Ken and Alden react to uh, The Witcher uh, yeah. season, whatever, episode, whatever. I've never watched it. This is not shade at Witcher fans, uh, <laughs> but there's just so uh, much. 
Vikings or Last Kingdom and all that stuff. I don't watch all yeah. of them. Great shows. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And I had a conversation over breakfast with my good friend Joe Starr. He was like, you, you, you do, a, do the fantasy channel. I'm like, I don't really watch fantasy. I watch Game of Thrones. I read yeah. Game of Thrones uh, and, and Lord of the Rings as well. So uh, we'll and see. There's always that expectation, you know, with our friends, with even strangers. Oh, like sometimes people will hear me talk about Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings and they will naturally assume I don't blame mm -hmm. them, but they'll just segue in and be like, oh, and that, you know, it's kind of like that scene in Witcher. And I'm like, oh, I haven't seen Witcher. And they're surprised. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen Outlander. And they're surprised that it's like, there's a lot to consume. Yeah, you know? so. a lot to consume. And you and I live in the Star Wars world a lot, but we love living in the Song of Ice and Fire world. And that, uh, you know, like, that's specific. The Song of Ice and Fire world uh, is this entire thing here, this world of Westeros, but also it's the books. And lest we forget that that book is out there. We're still waiting for Winds of Winter. And George R. R. Martin took to his not a blog, as he often does, to give a little bit of an update. And, and we're going to dive in. We're going to pick it apart, Alden. I'll say this first. And I don't mean this cynically or jokingly. His his this particular blog post was sobering. He had just uh, mm. lost a friend. He's talking about losing that friend who was uh, also an author who, who hadn't wasn't able to finish his story. He lost some other friends. He hasn't really left his house since 2020 uh, because of the lockdown. He is planning to go to Comic Con, and then he was talking about the state of the world, uh, wow. the tragedy, yeah. the, the the shootings, uh, the terror terror attack in Buffalo, the the, the shooting of Uvalde. And so it was like, I was kind of reading this like Game of Thrones. Okay. Oh, oh, George is, uh, he's, he faces a reality too. And amongst that all has to be creative. Struggle mm -hmm. for all of us, Alden. And here he is. He's given us a little tidbit there. Um, I, I, I say that just to point it out. It, it, you know, it just was, uh, I don't know, sobering. You know what I mean? It is. It is. I think that we, like we do with a lot of these people, we mythologize them where, especially these uh creators you know it, it happens a lot with actors it happens a lot with lots of people but specifically creators you know george r. r martin george lucas um sometimes we mythologize them and then we see a fall from grace i don't need to name these popular authors so can guess um but but it happens good bad indifferent and i think that we forget sometimes that he is an older gentleman that has seen a lot lived through a lot i think he's around the same age as my grandmother you know that generation and for him, it's got to be a little bit horrifying, like as he's losing those friends in that generation and just thinking about how we still face those problems, you know, because there's a lot of good when you listen to your elders where they're like, wow, I never thought that I'd see this. That's so great. But also right. I thought I would see the end of this. And that's yeah. that's really sad. And and he hasn't. And and like you said, like thinking about he probably has days of like, does wins of winter even matter? You know, yeah. with everything going on. Tough to get out of bed. Yeah, I understand it. And, and especially the last two years and and and. It's interesting too. We, we, you and I love themes. We love diving into what Star Wars is about, what Game of Thrones is about, all this kind of stuff. It's what drives us to a lot of these discussions. It just makes me think about a lot of a lot of what the Song of Ice and Fire is. It is this wonderful fantasy tale. It is a tale of destiny and all these things. But mm -hmm. it draws a lot from history, and I, I think it's undervalued how much George is putting into a story. And then, therefore, I think the creators who then adapt this material still put in the story that what this world, I talk about Game of Thrones being about what the world is. I sound like the Hound. But then, like the Hound, comes to the end of it going, that's that's horrible. And look at the effect of it. And I think, I, w I wonder how much is that that's in George's mind, too. Nothing's going to change any plot points or anything. But this is this is the world. And what this world does to you is one of the things I think he's writing about. Yeah, and I think that it it has to with with age, with the perspective, with realizing how things haven't changed. I mean, he I don't, I don't know off the top of my head when he put pen to paper on the very first uh, novel, but it's coming out in the nineties. Yeah, when it's yeah. a different world, and there's so much the same, there's so much different, and you start to soften over time. I mean, we talk about Star Wars so much, we know how George's parenthood. Um, Lucas, the, the the two Georges in our lives, how George Lucas's parenthood and an age changed the way he felt about mm -hmm. things like Han Solo. We've seen this with the countless people that are in the particular issue of these violent attacks and, and, and gun violence yeah. and things like that. Uh, Jim Carrey swearing off those action roles, like refusing to promote uh, Kick-Ass 2. That was a right. big turning point for him. Um, and he's, you know, shockingly, Jim Carrey is kind of older now. And so it's like people, <laughs> the perspective changes. Um, so it is interesting to think like it does he look at those perspectives like the hound and start to grapple with them maybe in, in different ways or, or gravitate towards certain characters less. We'll talk a, bit, a little bit yeah. about how there are characters that he's finding 
ease, but also difficulty and, and breaking certain things, but not other things. It's got to be hard, you know, and yeah. you got to wonder how much he wants. Because I would argue, while not a perfect hero by any means, and while he's made some key mistakes, someone like a Jon Snow, particularly with the Free Folk, there is a huge element of inspiration there and taking yeah. lessons and passing them to the people. You got to wonder how much more responsibility he feels now for his heroes to be heroes mm -hmm. in a story about Grey. Yeah, and 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 how they choose to be heroes and, and, and the why of it, all those things we love. Yeah, well, let's dive into this then. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. That was not planned, but I, I just, it's been on my mind as, as yeah. uh, someone who has poked that George R. R. Martin bear of, hey, finish the books, finish the books. I can only imagine that as the world gets tougher, as he's writing this pretty serious uh, story. And I think a lot of people have this picture of George uh, gleefully going, who am I going to kill next? And that's probably part of a little bit what he approaches, but I think he's got a story he's telling here. So, yeah. Hey, story here uh he he talked about he finished a bunch of cersei chapters and is wrestling with jamie and brianne like uh, their mm. chapter how to wrap up the story again we're going back to uh, this is where you kind of take the the hbo game of thrones hat off and and put it to the side and kind of try to remember it's been a while since i've uh read uh the fifth book i'm trying to remember when i finished that last i was poking through a lot of the books again um before season a just reading chapters here and there so even i have to kind of remember um where he was in his story right. um but let's look at this uh you know not that he didn't struggle with the cersei chapters uh where uh what do you what are your uh, thoughts on the, what that might be any hopes for cersei at this point in her story in his in his story it's interesting because there's always as much as we take that hat off there will always be the lingering uh it's not, not even myth like we know it happened but we'll never know the true contents of what were these notes what were these things yeah. what were these this is where I'm going, directions, whiteboards, whatever that we're given. And my, you know, pundit brain, I try to turn it off, but you immediately are like, well, if he got through this easier, then maybe it was the thing that was consistent. And so yeah. you yeah. start to think about, is the Cersei arc that I saw the Cersei arc that more or less would track? Um, is, yeah. is that is that that same trajectory in the same way that a lot of us, myself included, believe that brand the broken being the king is pretty much the end game at least for him um so i don't know i it's it's interesting to think i mean i i haven't gone back to like older george interviews to get his thoughts on whether or not cersei is somebody that he finds he can groove with in general i know mm -hmm. that he's talked about certain characters that he feels um, he has opinions on um that mm -hmm. are easier for him or different perspectives and also the books are built differently in terms of those pov characters so I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just uh, his way of reconciling with a lot of what's going on right now through a villain. Yeah. And, 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 and hearing her side of the story for sure. Not that you always need to hear the villain side of the story, but uh, I think the, the, the shades of gray, we love that the series plays with uh, would beg you to, to kind of dive into Cersei a little bit more. And, and again, this is as someone who has read, read all the books read them twice but it's been a bit i have to admit it's been a bit and some of the details do uh, you know it, it, all the eel pies everyone's had for dinner has escaped me all those details um hmm. but I, from my point of view Cer cersei has grown in, in his books um from like you said maybe straight up vi villain house lannister type of villain to you post tywin and 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 that fourth book uh, just going through her struggles her pains and what she tries to do to fill those those gaps in her in her heart uh, and how none of it seems to be working. I'd like to see some of that Cersei stuff we've seen in the show play out, whether it's taken out the sept, all that kind of stuff. I don't know, but I would like to see her ascend to the throne in uh, the books. And I, I, I'm less concerned about the Valencar prophecy uh, than I thought it was. I, I was concerned that it wasn't in the show initially, and I, I left that a long time ago. So I want to see that explored and maybe it all ends a little different, but I'd be curious to see because I think that as the books have grown, he's got he's gone more and more into her mind. Um, again, that's just from a distant perspective, and I'd like to see that play out. In the book. Yeah, I agree with you, and I I I would also like to see sort of Cersei's ascension of the throne because I think that it's such a a beautifully sort of haunting arc in terms of being the fierce mother lion that lost all of her babies and that you know did everything in her power for family and ended up getting all of the means but then none of the cause it's like now you have the power 
that would have let you be this protector and you are protector of the realm even though you're not necessarily doing a popular and great job at it um but there's no there's no little lions to protect anymore it's empty um do i need uh uh euron and, and jamie banter perhaps not um per perhaps not in, in this in this next version um as much as i did enjoy some of the the more animated choices that he made um yeah. But, but yeah i think i think that the overall trajectory i think is really strong like you said whether that's blowing up the scepter through other means i think that sort of being uh you know, she like they they say you to Daenerys, you don't want to be queen of the ashes, but Cersei was the queen of the different ashes. She was the queen of the yeah. ashes of her, of her own family. She had nothing inside. The kingdom ended up meaning nothing. Whereas, you know, it's sort of a weird inverse there with those two. Yeah, everything comes crawling uh, or crumbling down on her there, and I'm not even worried about the the beat for beat uh, things. Uh, you know how it ends. We'll we'll get to that point. We'll talk about Jamie and Brienne here in a second. But yeah, I'm just fascinated. And again, it is this is where it does become hard to separate for me. Where just what what Lena Headey did with just her eyes telling so much of the story with Cersei mm -hmm. and what she did with that character. And yeah, she is. I, I consider her a villain without a doubt. Um, she continues to be to choose to be and I think that's what's key to choose to be but then along the way that wine sip that everyone rooted for at the end of uh, season six I think it's earned because I think you can understand so much of her point of view now in the books uh, going back to like book four feast for crows just so much of her struggle so much to try to fill the void of her father so much of this idea of her her being so smart smart but then causing her own problems uh, empowering the high right. sparrow all that kind of stuff it, it it's uh it's great stuff but i i i want to see that um i want to see cersei push through that a little bit and get to that odd not quite victory point of that wine sip after she destroys all her enemy enemies and just see george's take on cersei in that moment yeah and that's the the beauty of what george created right is that we can have these discussions where we can logically know that she is making the wrong choice at every turn and that she does choose to be a villain that she could have made a better choice, which I think is part of the, and a lot of this of course is Lena Headey and Peter Dinkle is just being two of the greatest scene partners ever. I think that she does deep down resent Tyrion's ability to make the better choice, which is why she sees it as such a betrayal when he returns as hand of the queen and on top of the death of Tywin. But I think that she does resent the fact that this, you know, this, this brother that's been visually treated like a little monster that has been persecuted yeah. and everything was still able to make the choice that she couldn't when she had justified everything through her kids. Um, yeah. And I think that it's hard for her to see that. And despite all of that, though, we are given characters whose perspective is so vile to us, the viewers and readers through High Sparrow, that we still root for her. And what does that say about us? And I like that it's able to, because I'll tell you right now, yeah, viewers, listeners, the High Sparrow is my least favorite character by far. No one frustrates me more. And he's supposed to. It's, yeah, it has nothing to do with Jonathan Price. He's a genius. Uh, it's yeah. like, but oh my goodness, more so than maybe even Ramsey. This man drove me up the wall. I want to I want to dive into that for a second. I totally get it. And even in, in my house here, uh, he's not viewed as more the most popular character. I I think over time I've grown to appreciate. I know you appreciate the presence of the character. I get what you're saying there. Right. But what what is it specifically? Is it just that he's so slowly, surely, methodically winning in a way, and characters are 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 are, are losing to him? Or what what drives you mad with him? I think a lot of it is the to put this in like the most like basic real world terms that feel like not mythic and fantasy at all. Yeah. When management is able to just treat the employees with complete impunity just completely unscathed like the way that he's able to weasel his way into mm -hmm. the systems into the fabric um it reminds me a lot of you know things that have been said uh, about you know democracy i think even george lucas said like democracies aren't taken they're given away um not that we had a democracy but the system that they had in westeros you know was being given away it it was an agreement a handshake agreement that went awry and every time i've seen this show i think i've rewatched it in full three or four times since season eight yeah every time that jamie and the tyrells ride up on the steps of the sept and he's like i'm gonna go in there and i'm gonna cut down every single sparrow every single time a part of me wants it to be different right. <laughs> i'm like go please no. yeah just ride in 
Oh, who yeah. cares? We'll sort it out later. And it's the it's the impenetrable nature of that church that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, it's something like even with Marjorie Fallen, and and, and it's um, yeah, and in a show that's uh, you know, yes, about the gray areas, but also the decadence of these uh, people and positions of power and how he just kind of comes in and turns it all on on their head i think i appreciate it but yeah it, he's just so slow and methodical that you just yeah. want to you want to yell put some shoes on and get out of here take some breaks he's, he's got his potato sack and he's smiling at you mm-hmm. he's just we- standing there barefoot smiling at you telling you that you know uh, that you and need he, to repent yeah and you just can't stand him and it, i think it's the quiet confidence too yeah. Whereas Joffrey was loud and boisterous and Ramsey was sadistic and very uh, uh, smiley and theatrical and they all had their elements, but the high sparrow was quiet and condescending uh, and it oh, was yeah, yeah. difficult. A condescending little bloop indeed. Uh, and, but there's also a part of me that, cause I, these are characters that I love Marjorie Tyrell, Cersei Lannister, um, even Tommen. Right. And just to see, see it happen. You, you, I also kind of look at the High Sparrow and go, he's just, I don't know. It's like the season f- series finale of Seinfeld. All these characters probably do need to deserve, do deserve <laughs> a little jail cell. And he's doing that. And so I, I root against him, but I'm always like, you know, maybe if you listen. But uh, and it was interesting side conversation uh, yeah. on that. And to see how some of that plays out a little differently in the books or where George hits. We never like to pit the two properties against each other. It's two kind of separate uh, versions as a story to en- en- enjoy. But with George being uh, it being his story, I'm so curious to see how he handles that. The other thing he mentioned was, and I will close with this book section with this, is that he is um, he's wrestling with Jamie and Brienne. And yeah, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about where that story goes in the show and get our takes on it there. But and then I just kind of based off that, then what do then we hope for George's version of it? And again, I say that sound, uh, that version is a, it seems to it's a it's a competition. Accidentally, I don't mean that, but his take yeah. on it and then our hopes for what he might do with it. So let's start first with the show version. This might be a deeper conversation. What do we like about their uh, journey and how it ends on the show? Maybe what don't we like? What the way I feel about Jamie and Brienne's story is very not complex in that I can't articulate it and I will. It's just it was such a first for me. And I felt like their story trained me to view the difference between storylines and character arcs, where mm-hmm. I used to think that storylines and character arcs ran together in a perfect arc, a little rainbow, whatever color you want to assign. And then yeah. I realized that they don't end at the same time always. Because I would argue that I have that Jamie Lannister's arc ends when he knights Brienne of Darth. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that that's the end of Jamie Lannister's arc. Jamie Lannister's story goes on because he has this arc and his whole thing yeah. throughout the show deep down is that he resents, you know, like he says, like Kingslayer, Oathbreaker, Man Without Honor when they're in that bathtub. Like, he yeah. resents the fact that all he's ever wanted to do is be pure in a world of impurity. He wanted to have honor. I mean, that's why Jamie charges the dragon. That's why Jamie is insecure about not having his his pages filled out, his yeah. great deeds, you know, and Joffrey mocks him. He wants to be, I think, in real world terms, Jamie Lannister wants to be a knight in Tolkien's world. Yeah. He wants to be a knight proper. Mm-hmm. And and that was yeah. robbed of him yeah. via circumstance. Yeah, yeah, kind of always has felt that, right? Like, what would, what else would you want me to do? He said, burn them all. I was a hero. Exactly. I, I took down a madman who was going to burn innocence. I did the noble thing, but this world was unfair to him. So he's finally complete, at least in the show version, completes this arc and is able maybe not to do the noble thing that will set himself down forever, but is able to raise somebody else up and is able to do the right. giving thing, the cordial right. thing, uh, the knightly thing he points out in the show, a knight can knight another knight. And he's able to create sort of a legacy for himself with this first, this first woman who becomes King's guard. And so I think that that's the, the end of the Jamie finally being mm. this, this version of himself that he always wanted to be. Problem is the, the arc is over. The story continues right. because then he's sitting there complete and it's a, that's it. Right. And then it's, where do I fit into this world? She can, right. I can't. So they make love and they have their whole post party thing. And she Root clearly thinks it. it's going to be more. Yeah. And we were all excited about it. I felt 
Um, they're having a great drinking game, good times. Right. Uh, then they finally consummate the relationship. And I think that he realized, oh, we did share that moment as knights and people that care about each other, maybe even love each other, but she can go on, I can't. So at that point, it's about placement. So I think it's complicated, maybe not executed to the best of its you know, potential, um, because it is, you know, there is always going to be the, if there was that one more episode, and then you get that, and then if there was one more after that. Um, but yeah, I think that it was about, I, and when he leaves her and she cries, it's it's really unfortunate and hard to see her that way. Um, and yeah. of course, I'm saying this as a, you know, cishet man watching it. Yeah. Um, which is always uh, an element, of course. Sure. But when he says um, she's toxic, is it she's toxic and so am I, or she's poison and so am I, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's him saying, "I don't think I deserve the nightly moment that we had." Mm-hmm. I think that you know, he, I think that that his reckoning in season seven and eight, especially seeing Bran again and Bran not outing him to everybody, I think that Bran not outing him, he felt like he needed to out himself. And the yeah. only way to do that was to give himself a villain's ending, which in a lot of ways is like, I need to, t- it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, light spoilers for Breaking Bad. It's been over for like eight years. It, you know, I've got to take myself out. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I've become the problem. I'm going to make the choice. Yeah, th- I really like this take. And, and we're, we're, we're getting, uh, you know, we're in season four on the rewatch here around uh, these parts, Cashley Talk. I definitely want to get you back on for some of those. And it is that part. I, th- I think it's just uh, there's a case of you root for JB to to have what you say is an arc. And that arc might be destroy Cersei or win the day. And I think we want him to be that Tolkien knight because uh, I think we see that he's worth that. And I, I think it's a realistic struggle that he never fully sees that. I love what you said about him bringing Brienne up to that level and then beyond and pushing her beyond and just feeling, I can't break this. This is an addiction. Cersei's an addiction, but also him being told all the, all along the way that he just, you know, one of those powerful moments in, in season three with Brienne, where he's just like, here's who I really am. I I'm, I'm the King Slayer, but this is what I did. I, I love it. Marked me wrong and crazy and disgusting, but I love my sister and I want to be, the, that's what mm-hmm. I am. And he can't be that. And, and so that's, uh, you know, it's part of the effect of this, uh, this world. Uh, it can again, be nothing I, that he wants to be. He can't be yeah. the partner. Can't be a father. And he, and he, and he's, and he's held, his children mm-hmm. as they die as they die um, and oh. yeah either having been there or you know with marcella like, like mm-hmm. he's he has witnessed it all crumble just as much as cersei has but while cersei is able to choose the villain path every at every turn he wants to choose the hero's one and i think that the battle of winterfell knighting brienne and then fighting in the battle of winterfell i think he expected maybe a fulfillment there and then yeah. you wake up the next day and you realize, oh, well, that doesn't make yeah. sense. Um, I don't make sense. Yeah, it, it's uh, tomorrow in like an old church camp term. It's like the fire on the mountain feeling when you're all you come down the hill and you're ready to live that life. And you're like, oh, this ain't this ain't, it ain't, it ain't working. The, feel, the adrenaline's gone. And, uh, yeah. and a little bit of that. And again, this is you and I interpreting themes. Our perspectives always uh, something we want to con- consider. And yeah, some of the things that might have been done not necessarily done wrong or just that's what they chose to do as storytellers. And it uh, didn't hit. I think some of the beats with Euron don't, don't really completely uh, connect with me. I, I think that's fair, but also I think a lot of people just had their hearts broken by Jamie with the brand situation. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of what happens sometimes. And it's not necessarily yeah. wrong. I'm with you on the Euron stuff where part of it is, I was going to say filmmaking, but television making, although at this point the lines are so blurred. Um, yeah did I feel like that was the most cinematic uh, ending for this character was the sort of water, very rough and tumble hand to hand and then, you know, a stabbing like, but at the same time, it is this world where you're not going to get the last duel of the Kings. Like it, it, you almost are struggling with what you know of the world versus what feels right. Um, knowing that it is the end of the show. Uh, when it comes to the Brienne of it all, though, I think that, that that's where I think there is the most nuance and the most understandable, um, even straight up anger at, at what happened because she has been uh, this pillar of strength and this pillar of knighthood, which is why it was so awesome to see yeah, that yeah. moment. And Tyrion, you know, Sir Brienne of Toth and everyone claps like that's so beautiful. Um, yeah. so to see her have this moment of just complete heartbreak 
I think is controversial and I understand why it is. Does it land for me entirely? I think maybe a, a stern word in that same scene, same build, mm. but a quiet mm. tear. It's all in the execution, right? Like yeah. is, is a single tear and not falling to her knees like she does. Uh, is that the same thematics, but played yeah. in a way that lets Gwendolyn Christie stay a little stronger? Perhaps. And that's all stuff. Um, yeah. Who directs that? I forget who directs the, uh, oh, is it Dan and Dave? Oh no, the one before. Yeah. Yeah. The long night was uh, Sapochnik, right? So yeah, we'll have to run through yes. that. It's yeah, we'll have to figure that one. But this is what I'm doing the rewatch all the time. Exactly. We'll get all the names back under our belt and learn more as House of the Dragon comes. But yeah, that's a conversation to have with directing. Um, yeah. But all that said, I do think that the writing his page um, in the book is is yeah lovely. That moves me every single time. Yeah, lovely indeed. Lovely indeed. Uh, George uh, and his take. It's again. This is hard to hard to do. I just I thought this was fun. I loved kind of. Um, I'll just be honest. I just kind of loved him saying, "Yeah, I'm wrestling with it," which is what George does. He, you know, writes himself in and out of corners. Add, we'll have nine books by the time he's done with this because this is how he approaches it. What one of the reasons it takes so long? Um, you know, you write how you want to write. He's been very successful. So I kind of liked. Not that I like to see him struggle, but I like to him coming to these two characters and going, "What do I want to do with it? What do I feel needs to happen?" And uh, you know, we don't get the confrontation with the hound with Brienne with that that's all obviously playing out differently yeah. and um what his takes again it all comes to I'm just curious about his takes and his takes and it's not even that cuz he's he's not following some ironclad plan in his own mind uh I think he 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 has his notes and moves to the sides of, of those notes whenever he wants to so the fact that he's wrestling with Jamie, Jamie Bram uh just uh, it, it gets me actually kind of excited to see what he's going to end up coming up with you know yeah, and it's just a nice bit of humanity too. Because again, we like we talked about with the heavier stuff in his blog post, we consider them to be like, oh, he created this world, therefore genius will prevail. And it's like, no, it, it reminds me a lot of a lot of my favorite behind the scenes stuff uh, with film, where you see something like like Bruce the Shark not working, or yeah. or George George Lucas infamously with the I may have gone too far in a few places, like yeah. things like that are important because the myth of the singular genius uh rightfully is being pushed back on hard yeah um whether that you know i read a, a great article the other day that was called taika waititi will not save us and it was an article about with love for taika but it was the stop doing this until he has a misstep that and you all turn on him um yeah and and it's the singular genius i mean i, I grew up a joss whedon fan listeners and viewers wow. uh, yeah, you even said the name. I got to be careful. I know. I I have like I grew up and like worshipped yeah. this guy. You remember yeah. Joss is God and like yeah, uh, yeah. The the singular genius will not happen. Uh, it, it does not work. It's not true. So when that finally gets pushed against by a creator, mm. it is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. To have him it, just admit that I, I actually really love that about it. And, and yes. Uh, we talk about the serious stuff up, up top. I can't wait for him to finish. That's, I think, the point. It, obviously, you don't want to harass him while he's having dinner, and you don't you don't want to be that person. We don't condone that at all. But I'm just excited to see and excited, again, that he's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of hit some po points in these stories where with Jamie and Brian, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't want his heart broken as a, as a fan of these characters, or maybe he wants to uh, dig in deeper. I don't know. We'll only know, Alden, when the books finally come out. Uh, George in the uh, blog goes on to say uh, some wonderful stuff about House of the Dragon. He's watched cuts of all 10 episodes. The effects are still, uh, you know, uh, outstanding, but he, he really um, happy with the stuff. And yes, you could say that is uh, not a surprise, um, but George speaks his mind and he spoke his mind in this blog where he even said that uh, House of the uh, Dragon is telling his story, his story, very clear. Um, that is, uh, something that might be, I don't know, Alden, you tell me too snarky, or is it helpful for the show house of the dragon by saying, Hey, um, don't, don't put down your rocks. You don't need to stone the show yet. Uh, if you have some feelings about how game of Thrones ended, um, and that roadmap conversation, they're on it. And it's my story. What do you feel about this too snarky, just right. Or both. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit of both. And I think it's sort of a case of like, 
generous versus realistic reading, right? Generous reading. If I was really um, trying to give everyone every bit of benefit of the doubt, you could make the argument of, well, it's the written word. He says his. Maybe that's just to assuage people that are afraid that HBO is going to take what they want from Fire and Blood and mix it up. Not dissimilar to our conversations that have been happening about Rings of Power. Um, What is Amazon doing? What do they actually have? Did they just mishmash things and change timelines? It could be a statement about that. It's mine. It's my story, i.e. Fire and Blood. That said, that's the very, very generous reading. The the realistic reading, I think, is that he is aware that Mm -hmm. his baby like or dislike is irrelevant, it became a controversial beast by its finale. Yeah. Um, yeah. More so than it had ever been. And he knows that. Um, and his name is on it, whether he stepped back or not. Um, and we'll never probably know. I mean, who knows? It's George R. R. Martin. Maybe he will say it on his like 90th birthday. This was my favorite part of season eight. Good night. Um, <laughs> but it, it's interesting. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I thought that it was fun when Sam suggested democracy. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that, that he says this, I, I do think that it a little bit is the postseason eight, um, yeah, not press, you know, I don't think that George R. R. Martin is a very media trained individual. No. Um, I don't think that he sat in for that zoom call, but I, I do think that there's a little bit element of that and also an element of pride and excitement because he wasn't hands-on for the back half of yeah. the show, at least as much, like um, and I think that he's excited. Uh, he's got writing credits again. So I think that he's just jazzed in the same way that lots of people are jazzed when things are going their way. And he's entitled to it. It's not, yeah, you know, again, being Star Wars fans, how many times have we had to litigate the, you know, what a Lucas sequel trilogy would have been? Um, they didn't use mine. They came up with their own. The word my has a lot of power. Nice. But at the end of the day, we can't attach ourselves to it too much. Too much, yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, it reads as snarky to me only because I think I'm looking for that, right? Yeah. Your focus determines reality, to quote our other favorite space wizard guy there, Qui-Gon. Uh, and so I see it. I'm like, oh, there goes Salty George again. And that's not necessarily fair. But also, I think in the end, this is helpful for the show. This constant debate we keep coming back to here of uh, House of the Dragon, it's got to say we're part, we're from the political party you like. We're just not that candidate. We're a different candidate. Give us a shot. It's just, it's just realistic. Even someone as me who just loves season eight love season eight i have to disconnect from that when talking about the general view on this property now so i think it is in the end helpful not everyone reading the george blog but uh, we're here to talk about it so i think uh, i think in the end it's it's important and valuable uh to a lot of people that it is his story through and through doesn't mean though alden that there's not going to be changes in fact he even addressed that that uh, sapochnik and condal and the team have already uh, done little things here and there. And then he reminds people, he once again praises Shay as portrayed by Sybil Kelly, uh, being a more complete and nuanced version of the character than his in the books. He said that a lot. He said that mm-hmm. many times. Um, so I want to stop there. Just uh, not, we don't need to contrast and compare. I think uh, uh, the show version um, is really good. And it ends up in the same, you, you have to get to that ending too. And I don't think you, that ending with, with Tyrion and Shay doesn't have as much power if you don't have a, a, a Shay that that's elevated to a certain degree as a character. So, but I, w- yeah. I want to ask you, this is, this is really hard to predict, but thoughts on uh, thoughts on this overall, but why is it always Shay for him? I've heard other characters here and there. He, I heard him, uh, I think I, I read uh, where like writing Littlefinger, he's maybe got, uh, he did. Know, yeah. I saw him speak on that in a video once. Yeah, yeah. Littlefinger change. I think that I believe he's commented on Rob Stark. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what yeah, he said, yeah. but yeah, Rob. But, yeah. Right. And so there's those changes. But I think the thing with Shay is that Shay is a character that is sort of a sleeper in the sense that people she's extremely important, obviously, but she's yeah. considered to be um She's one of the, like if you asked said somebody name twenty Game of Thrones characters, she probably wouldn't be there. Um, and so I think that maybe it takes him aback because she doesn't have um, the iconic nature of some of his other characters that were changed. That she was able to be changed maybe in subtler ways and more character focused ways, less plot ways. Um, you know, there was a lot of elevating of these youths into adults for the purposes of doing HBO and yeah, and yeah. and some of those changes and Shay's changes. I think were more subliminal um and and really rooted 
in the betrayals that I think he's interested in and the human nature stuff that I think he's interested in. Um, yeah. On a very, very, very base level, it could just be like being captivated with Sybil's performance, which is like totally a thing. I mean, there are those people that get really fixated on, you know, sometimes authors are like, this is the actor that I knew had to be. Yeah. And you hear yeah. that from authors like a lot of times. Um, I don't know what say he had as an EP in casting when he was more involved. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but there's also an element of, and I don't know this. I know that Tyrion is his wife's favorite character. Mrs. Martin uh, is her favorite. Uh, So I don't know if there's an element of he feels connection Mm -hmm. to that relationship in particular and love seeing it play out a certain way um, differently. Um, I have to ask him. I don't want to ask him, is Tyrion your self insert um, when we all know it's Samuel? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you said a lot of things. I love that. And and for those listening to the podcast, I'm kind of smiling and nodding. I think uh, Sybil, uh, I always say Kikili, it's Kalili. Um, I love tossing just K's in the names. Um, I think he's captivated by her and her performance as well, as he should be. But I love some of the points that you say. Um, I'm always saying there's a video where they're like in a limo together right into an event. I'm just like, yeah, yeah I think he's got a shake crush. And I think that's fair. Um, <laughs> but I also think that, it, it, that her performance, along with the Rob Stark one, along with Richard Bennett's Rob Stark, emboldened something that was already there that maybe he felt uh, I didn't get to at all or I didn't do to, do it to the best of my ability. Whereas like, right. yeah, the changes with the, 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 the kids, even with Rob Stark being aged up a bit, of course, naturally has to happen. But it might uh, take things in a more this has changed from what you wrote where this just, it, it, he goes, yeah, that's maybe even more what I was thinking. Or I think it's even more powerful for him to be like, you know, I wasn't thinking that and now I am. And that's forever changed the way I look at my own character. I, I think that's uh, why I think you're right. Shay is one of those ones. Uh, that yeah, does that. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and he continues to talk. He sort of says what you said about uh, Viserys um, coming mm-hmm. up in, in House of the Dragons. So I think that that perspective is, is valuable to see the way that things are interpreted and then given back um, and and seen through different eyes. I mean, it's, it's very, of course, now popular to think that there is a Dan Dave beef with George and things like that. Yeah. Um, whether there is or not, you know, those, he, they, those were his handpicked boys, whether they grew up and, and did things that dad are. didn't agree with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So part of this is that is their ability to cast is their ability to create uh, smaller tender moments and to enhance the tragedy because you have to be charmed by her you have to be Tyrion. you have to believe in the little lion and in mm-hmm. the protection and in what they have behind closed doors and you yeah. need to like when when Tyrion says he'll throw Varys into the sea for that veiled threat in regards yeah. to her you need to be right there with him like don't you dare tell anyone yeah. um, that way when you get to the trial um, it is every bit as uh, yeah. just horrifying and heartbreaking as it should be yeah yeah we just looked at the trial uh the last episode out here on uh, uh game of thrones rewatch we're doing here in Catchley talk and it is heartbreaking and, and that is that has to be earned uh, uh and it, it is earned because i think of of shay so uh not mm-hmm. obviously because of dinklage and Tyrion, but uh it has to be somewhat equal there and i think i think that's uh, what is going on you mentioned it he has high praise for uh king viserys the first and says patty constantine and company have crafted a full character with a tragic majesty that fire and blood never quite achieved that's pretty honest uh and having it uh, i always say i'm ready i've got the book over there on my shelf i'm gonna when i'm done reading star wars books for work which never seems to end thankfully because they're great books love mm-hmm. shadow assist so far um Pulling, I'm going to pull fire and blood out and read this section and, and really get back into it to get a full uh, view of the characters going in. And but I, it's interesting because I think um, even in the trailers for the show, I'm just I've, I I think I keep looking at King Viserys and going, well, that's just a starting point. That's just a starting point. And I just don't think that's fair to the character. And I think George has kind of acknowledged that in a way here. Do you have any expectations and, and more thoughts on Viserys in the show? Uh, what's coming up? I don't know if I have expectations, but I will tell you. Sometimes the pairing of words like tragic majesty yeah. uh, just just excites me so much because yeah. that is sort of uh, this world humanizes people so much, right? Where you might have a brief moment when Robert Baratheon arrives to Winterfell on the pilot of being like, wow, the king. And then you're like, oh, I get him now. I understand this guy very quickly. Um, majesty is hard to maintain 
presence is hard to maintain in the world of uh, Ice and Fire and, and Game of Thrones. Uh, the HBO version, we've seen these actors do a great job of taking your archetypes and just breaking them immediately. Uh, it's very hard for somebody to maintain in this world of gray and this world of, you know, the tax policies and then the betrayals and the, uh, you know, fire and blood. It's, it's hard for anyone to have a sustained gravitas because we just know that they're all weirdos behind the scenes. They all have damage. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm interested in, in a, a king from when kings were kings. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, that's actually, that's interesting. I love that. Yeah. And yeah. Who didn't love Robert when he got off the, the horse and it took me years to realize Robert had a lot of mistakes. So I still kind of like him, but yeah. Um, yeah. No. And, and, and this is, um, and it is, um, it is key to the story that it does start with him. And this is, a, especially if you read that history book and, and you know even just a little bit of, of the in-world history, this was a, a relatively peaceful and popular king, right? Unless memory serves. Yes, and he had a long reign and might be things along the way. Don't get me wrong and, and feel free to, to put in comments down below of uh, things he's done wrong. But overall, the view from my, from my vantage point is King Viserys I, good king, majestic, little majesty to him. And following him and his life is just one of the most darkest, brutal periods that uh, threatens to take down the, the dynasty and, and, and destroy the land, the, the, the actual kingdoms, actual people uh, in its wake. And, and I think you, I want to feel that balance. I want to feel that lost, uh, that loss. I, I want to feel it. And if it's tragic, it makes a lot of sense. And, and they need to build that up. And it sounds like they are, which is exciting. Yeah, it's exciting for him to once again get attached to a certain take, a certain performance. Him having seen uh, pretty much the entire season tells you that he has a full picture and a full breadth of what Patty is doing yeah. with the role. Um, so it's exciting to me to have, like you said, sort of that fall from grace being set up with such a great uh, right. presence, with such a great role, such a great character. Yeah. Um, like even in these images, like, I, the, like he has such a wisdom behind his eyes, um, so contemplative. And he seems, you know, and he should, because the Targaryens had the throne for so long, that this is a role that he is comfortable in. Um, yeah. Whereas the part of the point of, you know, the saga of Game of Thrones proper is that when you meet the, the king, it is an unstable king who thinks that winning and ruling right. are the same thing. And like, th that's supposed to be uh, the twilight of the Iron Throne, which we saw yeah. over eight seasons it was um but this is the iron throne solidified with people that understood it um which is a very very interesting thing it's a great yeah great starting point people who understood the position of power and even him uh you know naming his daughters the heir and how how um you know forward thinking that might have been and how that's received we're going to dive into it there and, and i guess i asked in terms of like expectations this is a, a mirror being held up to myself here where Again, this is an actor I love because I love Hot Fuzz and I can't wait to see one of the uh, yeah. detectives in, in Game of Thrones and House of Dragon. But uh, I think even I have a tendency, even in the trailer stuff, to wonder, I mean, was, was he in the first episode? I don't know. Are they going to use flashbacks? And I find myself overlooking um, what could be, in a way, potentially the heart of the series, a heart that is lost. And um, yeah, so this is a, I just really like to George uh, highlighted this and that it spoke to him. And that it was something that he didn't quite uh, feel that he didn't quite achieve in his book because he was maybe perhaps even focused on what comes after, which is big stuff. But, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to wonder, too, about producers in the room, writers room, the whole energy, like because it is iterative. And no matter what, there will be people that join in here with House of the Dragon. But there will also be people that watched all of Game of Thrones. Probably, I would wager, the majority of the viewership when this starts will be Game of Thrones fans. And even though there are prequels that are designed to be watched after, like I maintain Better Call Saul is a sequel to Breaking Bad that takes place in the past. It, it, it's right. not necessarily a prequel. This will be, but you're still going to have those mirrors. And, and you would imagine that somebody in that room is like, is Viserys our Ned Stark. Is this the guy that we can get right. everyone to buy into? And then when we do the thing, people will say, oh, we're back. We're back in that rhythm where we've yeah. started in a paralleling way. That I love that you brought in Ned Stark to the conversation. And yeah, could it be, is this an episode nine reveal? You're, you're kind of touching on that too, but just the, the parallels of the heart. And I would still say, 
there, there's an absolute tragic majesty to Ned Stark all the way to the end, both the successes and the failures of that character, uh, the successes and how he prepared uh, all his children and, and the failures to get all of them, particularly Arya and, and Sansa ready for the real world. I, I think that hangs over all of it. And there is a tragedy to everything about Ned. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. Again, we're not saying we're not saying it's a lather, rinse, repeat. Episode nine is going to be the shocking death that uh, you know changes TV like Ned's was, um, but that the spirit of that is still there. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And and to be clear, if it was, I'd love to feel that again because I'm still reeling all these years <laughs> later. It's still one of the greatest things. I said this about the yeah. easy young direwolf. Easy. <laughs> Uh, I said this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you see, you heard me bring up the Starks, and he got into his little wolf mode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have had those moments, like I said, with Jamie and the and the High Sparrow. Of please let this time be different. There is not a single time that I watch Baylor that I don't want it to be different. Not a single time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely one of those where were you moments there. So uh, that is yeah. our look at the world of House of Dragon. Uh, of course, the show is it's racing towards us. We're already racing towards July. So pretty soon it will be August. We'll be ready uh, for House of the Dragon. Uh, stick around here for some uh, some uh, nice. Uh, we'll get you prepped up for some of this stuff, too. And I got to get prepped up for myself. I, I, I like I said, we're pretty honest here. Casually talk. Um, uh, we are more than just casual fans. Indeed, we are. Uh, we read, we research all those kind of things. But um, it's been a while. I feel as though uh, all that I have to get back into like Game of Thrones watching shape, hmm. you know? We've been in, we're in Star Wars watching shape all the time, you and I, because of our other podcasts and jobs. Um, I watch Game of Thrones still. I'm doing the rewatch. But, you know, we're just like, you have to like, I feel I need to know the lay of the land better. I need to remember more events, which it doesn't, I, w- I don't want any of that to distract me from taking in the story. That's why I'm mm-hmm. here first. What is the story happening in front of me? What is it saying? What is it saying about the, our world? What is it saying about the characters in this world? But at the same time, the timelines, the maps, I'm starting to get that panic feel again, you know? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because, like, I wouldn't say that Star Wars is... Uh, or Marvel, or anything that you're watching. Um, I wouldn't say that there's like easy listening for TV and and, uh, and classical and things like that. But but I will say that there is something about the involvement of Ice and Fire that is different than Star Wars. Maybe it's because we live in it. Maybe there are people that feel the inverse, that they're yeah. like, oh, when Obi-Wan started, I needed to put down my maps and pick up my galaxy map. So maybe it's a perspectives thing. But I do think that it, it is it's sort of a little bit of a gear shift um, yeah. especially with, you know, like you said, like with the show also doing with ring, uh, rings of power as well. That's the other thing too, is that like, now we're going to have to do it doubly. So, yeah. uh, and now I'm going to be thinking about not just the seven kingdoms, but also the Shire and also the mountains and also these things. And I'm not, I can't, they say, can't cross the streams, can't cross the, cross. I don't know, cross the bows and arrows, cross yeah. the dragons. There's, there's dragons in both. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So cross Well, let's wrap up today with a little look at the Rings of Power and the five-year plan. The story merged a couple of days, days ago. I thought it was interesting. Again, I'm just excited for Rings of Power. Excited to see what they've come up with. And yeah, there's a lot going into it. A lot of controversies already. Not the ones that are just based in pure racism and sexism and all those kind of things. We don't acknowledge mm. those here. But just uh, the estate and what where they're drawing from the stories. It's pretty fascinating. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to sit down in front of that TV with my maps and get uh, get the story they're telling. And they have uh, a five-year story. That's what has been um, put out there. J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, uh, part of the showrunning team here, have said that, yeah, uh, we have a five-year plan down to we know what our final, our last shot will be. Now, we should know note that only two seasons have been uh, guaranteed in a way from Amazon. I'm sure they're wanting it to go the distance um uh bezos being the lord of the rings nerd that he is uh all this money he spent to make this little uh, nerd dream come true um but i want to talk about it here where where this is a little bit of the game of thrones effect uh this is um both in positive negative ways the fact that i think Mm -hmm. even rings of power is a show is a, a game of thrones effect but also the fact that the creators I don't know if they need, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, Alden. I don't know if they need or feel they need to say we've got five seasons, but is this at where we're at in terms of an audience where we just need to be reminded, don't worry, this is all planned or, or don't worry. We got this whole thing uh, in mind. So give us, give us a little patience, give us a little understanding along the way. 
Uh, I do think it is a fan culture thing and it frustrates me a lot. And I think it's, I don't think it's good. I think it is in fact bad. Uh, And I think that a lot of it is, it's driven by, it's driven by false narratives. It's driven by this idea that, and and we're Star Wars fans, so we deal with it all the time. Like this idea that these great things have been planned. I mean, on, on, on several different levels, this is just not the case. I mean, network TV with those, 22 episode seasons that we all grew up on with different things like they they had season arcs they had episodic ones that they would fill things out with sometimes they would remove add they would figure things out along the way sometimes you get that that uh that season order that you didn't expect you know i like i mentioned earlier yeah. you know liking buffy buffy has an ending gets season five then upn is like hey we'll do t- we'll finish it out with you and then it goes for two more so yeah. uh but that and we have this this false narrative that in the age of premium TV, that plans became the way. And that's still not true. Um, It's, it's just not, we know things like with Mandalorian being sort of uh, a benchmark show of this new era that they had sort of their idea of where the story would go. But then they hit points where they were like, you know what? Luke Skywalker does make sense. And that's not a plan. That's a move. That's a yeah. move as you go. And so the plan has to be written in pencil. Um, yeah. I think that this is press speak to play into uh, the fact that there is so much punditry and angry mm-hmm. YouTubing about about this, about, yeah. uh, well, there was no plan. Uh, the plan is just a comforting word, but people don't care. Like I reference yeah. Breaking Bad a lot. Breaking Bad in its final season gives its main character a 50 caliber machine gun before a mid-season break and they admitted we gave him that gun without knowing who he was firing at mm-hmm. like and and it comes together beautifully because they just knew some somewhere in there is our move and we'll get there so when they yeah. say five-year plan i know it's buzzwords but when they talk about their five-year plan behind closed doors i hope it's in pencil because guys you may have that final shot but if you feel inspired pivot yeah pivot yeah no, no, I'm with you here too, and I, I'm okay that you're getting a little grumpy. Look, we're we're two angry uh, dudes on the internet. I've got an old man beard. I I'm more suspect to being uh, that stereotype. Uh, but uh, exactly. we, we approach going out to the cars, going out to our angry cars uh, here. Um, yeah, you and I love the themes. We love the story, and I think it, yeah. This isn't a you know we're not we're not saying anything negative about JD Payne and Patrick McKay. I think you're right. I think it is part of the the, the culture and and and. The, the, the false narrative of it all around Game of Thrones still frustrates me to this day. Again, the one nothing angers me more than the coffee cup incident and how that was mm. used against everyone involved as if they just proof they didn't care. We all know that is so not the case. And so just a, a little tiny air along the way. Who knows how many other coffee cups were in the show you just didn't see? Uh, you know, jeans guy, watch guy in Mandalorian. Uh, is that an indication yeah. you didn't care? It, it happens. And that was just that's one small incident. But it was it was to me uh, the the. Um, the fever, it was the fever pitch. It, it was the, 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 the high points, the crux, whatever you want to right. say, the peak of that conversation or that narrative of, oh, see, they didn't care. They didn't have a plan. They of lost wanting it. to be smarter than story. Of wanting to be smarter than story. So I think yeah. J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay and anyone involved are like, hey, hey, hey. It's almost like except buzzwords, I think, is fine. Media trainers, like, this is the conversation. This is where we're going, and we're excited about it. But yeah, th- after the third season, an actor gets a movie role and decides, F it, I'm out of here. And you kind of change or recast or right. Natalie Dormer, uh, the spirit of Natalie Dormer takes over. And a- another actor is like, that's it enough. Please kill me. I want off. Um, you know, even love the show, but I want off. I want to do other things. You know, that's going to happen. They know that. They just mm-hmm. think they, they got to say this now. They got to serve it up now. And they don't know what's going to catch fire either, you know, on the positive side of, oh, let's crank this up. Let's add more. Let's make sure that we can deliver on this. Like this has been, we live in this age of, of that dialogue for good and for very bad sometimes. But if, uh, you know, if Elrond is trending for two months when the show comes out and everybody really loves uh, Robert Armaio's young Elrond, then they might say, hey, can we? punch up to Elrond for the next scripts over here. Like, Oh, we, we kind of didn't have Elrond in there, but let's check in with Elrond. Like they might be able to have that. And there's going to be, I believe 20 leads. So lots of options for people to catch fire. Um, Lots of options for expansion. Um, Again, it's, it's one of those things where it's a safe bet that this will get its five, but it's, you know, we'll see what happens. Cause I believe 
if you run the numbers very quickly and just you know in a rudimentary way if if the budget was consistent by the end of five it'll be a billion dollars yeah um so it's a, you know a, this is a five season billion dollar plan they have to have that flexibility in there to do what yeah. needs to be done because that's a lot on the line it's a big brand name um whether you know people realize it or not it it will always have the conversation of peter jackson lingering over it no matter how much we try to distance yeah. ourselves um and who knows how much they will try to yes. distance themselves we still don't really know uh yeah. can they show if they show rivendell can it be that set or are they legally not allowed to have it be that set right no right. one knows and if it can't be that set there's going to be a lot of general audience folks going hey where's rivendell yeah <laughs> and they'll be like oh you're there and you're like mm, no that's not the bridge um it's it's gonna like. be interesting yeah. yeah it's 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 a really really interesting and, and difficult time i think and yeah. i think plans is is a very comforting um pl saying plans is like saying uh it's like when a cast member says like we really became a family on set yeah. it's like could be true but it's also just a really easy default thing to say yeah yeah we're, we're gonna just play one game at a time if go pulling from the sports world yeah and again this is uh no indictment of uh Peyton mckay or anyone there involved in the show i'm so excited but yeah no i, I think buzzword is right i think just that what they kind of have to say and then yeah i i don't recall prior to you know season four or five i don't know game of thrones when that really started to emerge and then it's just I've ne I'd never heard that before. Uh, and, and then it made its way to Star Wars too. A plan, the plan, the plan, the plan. Um, I get it. I'm a creative myself. I've pitched shows. Uh, you got your Bible. You got your three seasons. Da, 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 da. Uh, I absolutely love. I think they could be working to their final shot. And why wouldn't you put that down to paper and go, this is where we want to get to. There's different ways yeah. to get to it. I'm sure they understand that. Um, but this is a statement that, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to hear in these modern times, Alden. These modern times, we didn't have this on wings. They didn't they didn't worry about the wings plan. They just no. twenty two episodes a season. No Sorry. wings plan. There was no uh, uh, man. What was that show called? I was going to try to make a joke, and then I forgot Saving, the name uh, of the show. Uh, your uh, single guy with Jonathan Silverman. That's what you're thinking of. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, hundred percent. That's exactly oh, where I was going. Okay. Yeah, okay. but but really, I mean, like it's. Uh, it's interesting and, and I can't help but be a little cute about it when I think about these two shows on cast really talk at the same time because yeah. the parallels creatively too of like this big thing and it, it rests on the shoulders of two younger white dudes that don't have the resumes that people yeah. maybe think that these showrunners would have and they come as a pair and they're experts in the material and mm -hmm. they want everyone over and I just like Dan and Dave need to give these guys a call. They need to have a they need to have a cup of coffee. Uh, a crash course, if you will. Well said. Well said. It's the Game of Thrones effect. Uh, indeed. The legacy show lives on in so many different ways. And George's story. Alden, always fun to sit down and dive into the news, talk themes, talk a lot of things, talk the high sparrow and his dirty feet. Um, thank you so much for joining us here. More with you soon here. Uh, but you do a lot of other things. You do talk Star Wars. Uh, where can they find, uh, follow and listen to you, my friend? Yeah, so you can find me personally at that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z on Twitter and Instagram, uh, talking about all things, whether that's Star Wars, House of the Dragon, uh, professional wrestling, Dua Lipa. I'm so multifaceted, it's amazing. Um, but then you can also find uh, uh, Star Wars podcasting on Octo Radio, A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. That's my show, the main show, um, which right now is in Kenobi mode, but also still has the one-on-one -on -one interviews working on locking down uh, some people right now. Adam Christopher, author of Shadow of the Sith is probably going to be in the next one or two guests from now. We also have a Rebels rewatch going. Uh, we have another show called The Mandatorian Creed, which is like a seasonal breakdown of different Star Wars topics, really niche Star Wars topics. Um, and then I also do the One and Done Film Club. I do radio stuff. I tweet a lot. Um, I, I share a nihilist memes to my Instagram story. I'm a classic 20-something. Uh, it's wonderful. There, there you go. There you go. You are of your time, and that is both good and and even great. Uh, you know, uh, I love working <laughs> with you. You make me young again, my friend. You make me young again. Follow Alden. Uh, absolutely uh, recommend his uh, stuff there. Yeah, for me, you can follow me at Ken Napsock. Go to my website, KenNapsock.com. Hey, if you like music, check out my radio show, Pop Rock and Radio on Mixcloud. Yeah, I know. It's another app you got to download or a desktop portal you got to go to. It's worth your time. If you like good rock music, Pop Rock, 
fun. It's a party. We hang out live. A lot of people in chat. Check it out there. Don't forget on Casterly Talk. Uh, we don't have uh, we have a Facebook page. Don't have our own uh, Twitter, Instagram yet. I don't know. I'm getting exhausted. Do I need to do that? I don't know. We'll figure it out. But if you follow me and use the hashtag Casterly Talk, if you have a question for us, uh, want to uh, ask about an episode in our rewatch, we'll get back to that next week. Um, just do that using that hashtag. That's it for now, my friends. We'll see you here on Casterly Talk.